Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. We are in a new series called The Church. Last Sunday, we opened up to the book of 1 Timothy, and we are looking at this letter, and I want to remind us of who this letter was written to and why it was written. It was written by the Apostle Paul, and it's named Timothy because he's writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy is a young man. Uh, Paul had been training Timothy, and Paul writes to him and says, Timothy, I want you to stay in Ephesus. I want you to lead the church there. And we looked at last week on how the opening of the letter, Paul addresses Timothy and says, listen, Timothy, you've got some people in the church that have got some bad doctrine, some bad faith beliefs within the church. These people believe in myths and genealogies, and he didn't really go into the exact details. But right after that, Paul goes right into reminding Timothy the value of the law of God. He says, Timothy, the law is good if it is used law fully. And the law was written for sinners, for those who are disobedient to the lawless, to the ungodly. And I asked this last week, so who is the law written to? Us, everyone. The law was written, the law was laid out, the the law that the Lord set up, the right and wrong that he set in place, it's for us. It points out our sins. And uh, we kind of talked about how when a church abandons what is right and wrong, they cease to exist. If you get rid of the moral compass within churches, I'm not talking about within our culture. We already know culture has zero moral compass. We already get that. But I'm talking about within churches. The moment the church abandons what is right and what is wrong, according to God's word, they cease to exist. What is the point then? There is no point. So we're going to continue on to be looking at God's word and talking about the church. And we're going to look at how does this apply to us today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to stand and read verses 12 through 17 this morning. 1 Timothy 1. Verses 12 through 17, the word of God says this. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord, overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Verse 17. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your word today. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and stir our hearts. That we will be stirred 
in the ways of you. Father, I praise you. Come and speak to us. I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Like what I said earlier and how we talked about last week about the doctrine and how important doctrine is and what a church believes is absolutely vital. And if you toss out sin and if you toss out the law, like I said, you cease to exist. Well, here, Paul is going to share with Timothy why this is important. And what we are going to be seeing here today is how doctrine plays out within real-life situations. Doctrine meets reality. And this reality which Paul is going to share is what the Lord has done within Paul's life. We're going to go through this verse by verse today, and I want to start off in verse 12. Paul starts by saying these words. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now at this point in time, because I know you guys love church history and church background, at this point in time, as Paul is writing this letter, Paul is not a young man at this time. It's not like Paul is young and full of just physical strength. Paul is in his later years of life, and he's writing this letter to Timothy. And as Paul reflects upon his life, as Paul thinks about what he has been going through, what he has accomplished, now by, by this point, Paul had planted many churches. He had been all over the Mediterranean Sea. And as he looks back, as he re- reflects, he recognizes. He says, I thank him who has given me strength. Who's him? Christ Jesus. Paul's ability, what Paul has accomplished, what Paul has done, as he reflects and thinks about his life, he says, I thank him, Timothy, who has given me strength. This would be Christ Jesus. He has given me the ability. He has given me the strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, has done this for me. And he says in, in verse 12, you can just leave that one up there. He says, I thank him who has given me strength for Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to service. As Paul is reflecting to Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, I'm, I'm extremely grateful that the Lord has given me strength to accomplish what I have accomplished. I recognize all my ability, all of my strength comes from him. And Paul says, the Lord has looked upon me, and he's judged me. And he's judged me to be faithful, Timothy. And he And I'm thankful that he has appointed me to his service. Now, I want you just to kind of, I'm going to give you a a quick history lesson of Paul's life up until until this point. And I want you just to kind of think like, man, this guy has a lot to be thankful for. What has happened to Paul up until this point? So he's literally saying, I am so thankful that the Lord has given me strength, that the Lord has called me faithful, that the Lord has given me as what he says, appointed me to his service. Well, what service has Paul done? I want to give you a quick update. By this point in time, Paul had been imprisoned many times. He's been beaten many of times as he's writing these words. As he pens this letter, he might even have been beaten that week. Paul has been slandered. 
his Jewish people, his Jewish people that he grew up with, went to school with, rejected him, kicked him out. Paul grew up a Jew. He was a teacher of the law. They got rid of him. They didn't want him. So Paul has been wiped out. He's been shipwrecked. That's an interesting story. Read the book of Acts towards the end there. Paul's on a ship with a bunch of cargo. He gets shipwrecked. He has escaped situations in the middle of the night for his life. And this is Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy, I'm so thankful for our Lord Christ Jesus who has called me to this service. I can't believe that the King of Kings would call me to such a life. Maybe this is why Philippians 3, 8 through 10 is, I've shared this verse a lot because it's just so good. Paul says this. If you do not have these verses underlined, marked, write this one down. Philippians 3, 8 through 10, he says, Indeed, this is Paul talking, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. Love that next line. I count them as rubbish. As Paul looks at at his life, his shipwrecks, his beatings, his imprisonment, he says, I just count everything as loss. It's rubbish to me. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And he says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Why does Paul feel this way? Why does Paul recognize, Timothy, I am so thankful for the life that Jesus has called me to. Now, from the outside world, it's easy just to look into that life and say, man, Paul, that is a terrible life. That is not the American dream I'm going for, Paul. I'm looking to have a real easy life. I want to have a real just comfortable life. Paul, how can you possibly be thankful that your life, according to the world standards, has been just an absolute disaster? He's been poor. He's been rich. He's had everything come and go. Paul says, I know what it's like to be rich. I know what it's like to have absolutely nothing. And as he writes to this young Timothy, Timothy, I'm so thankful. The Lord has looked upon my life, and he's called me faithful. He's judged me to be faithful. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, why does Paul feel this way? That's a great question, Pastor. Why does Paul feel this way? Well, good news. The Bible answers things like that. Look at verse 13 here. 1 Timothy 1.13. Paul's going to do a little reflection real quick. He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul quickly brings up his past to Timothy. Timothy, let me remind you once again who I used to be. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. And I was insolent opponent. Now, I can't go into all this, but if you read Acts 7, 8, and 9, you're going to get this full story on how Paul was a blasphemer, how he was a persecutor, how he was insolent opponent to 
the followers. Being a blasphemer is one who pronounces a defaming judgment. Paul, before he became a Christian, we sometimes forget that like Paul wasn't just this great, righteous human being. Paul wasn't like, oh, I'm living such a perfect life, of course the Lord wants me. Paul hated, and I mean hated, Jesus and God's people. And I mean outright hated them. He put judgment upon them. He hated them so much that, that he went to other religious leaders asking for permission to leave his town to go hunt down more Christians and kill them and put them into prison. He stood there while they stoned Timothy, looking on with approval, God's word says. I want you just to understand who Paul was. Because I think sometimes as you read God's word, it's easy just to be thinking, well, Paul was a great man. You know, he was such a righteous man. And, you know, he was, he's been faithful his entire life. Paul reminds Timothy, Timothy, I was a blasphemer. I persecuted God's church. I was not a fan of them. He was an opponent to God's people and to Jesus. I love how Acts 22, 4 through 5 says it. This is Paul. I persecuted the way to, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Paul was not a sexist. He did not care if you were a man or a woman. He was coming after you. And he said, I persecuted them, prison, both men. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness, from then I received a letter to the brothers and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul looked at God's people with such anger and hatred that he looked at them and said, these people need to be punished. He hated them. And I want this to really sink in here, church, because we need to understand who Paul was. He looked at Christians and thought that they were just dogs. Dogs that need to get beat, hunted down, rounded up, killed, and in prison. He was extremely hostile, extremely hostile to Jesus and to the idea of Christianity. But there's a but. There's always a but within God's word. Verse 13, But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Verse 14, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith in love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul says, listen, Timothy, I, I once acted in unbelief. I was an ignorant human being. I was doing this. I was persecuting them. I was blaspheming them. I acted ignorantly. But I received mercy, he says. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Now that word overflowed there... We don't really get the full context within the English language here because the Greek, it, it is a, a uh, prefix here, and it means above, beyond, in excess. Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus. I can't even explain it. It was above anything I've ever experienced. It was beyond, it was in excess 
And he said, this is who I was before Christ, but his grace came upon my life beyond what I could fully express, Timothy. And if you read the account in Acts chapter 9, he meets Jesus on the road. A great light comes down and he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, Paul realizes the grace of God, the forgiveness the Lord offers in abundant and it is amazing. And then Paul pens this, 1 Timothy 1.15, because he knows this, this statement to be true. He says this, The saint is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. Paul does not use those terms that often. This is a trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Jesus, why did he come into this world? To save sinners. Paul recognizes. I, Paul says, I, I was one of the worst. I hated Jesus. I hated his people. Hated them. Wanted to kill them. Wanted to hunt them down. But this is a trustworthy statement that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Church. Do we realize this is the heart of God? His heart, his desire, his plan. He sends Jesus to save sinners. Now you might be sitting there thinking, ah, yeah, pastor, I know this is true. And yeah, I, have, you know, I know this statement. And yeah, it's a true statement. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm one of, of those sinners here as well. And It's a trustworthy statement. Full acceptance. He came to save sinners. I bring this up because I see what happens too often within the American church. And it's happened within my life at times, so I'm not just going to start harping on you here. But I think sometimes we as believers can forget that statement. What I mean by that is that, yeah, you know, you might be sitting there thinking, well, yeah, Pastor Jesus came to save me and I'm a sinner, and you know, but I think sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, but I think, I think sometimes we can start to believe and start to think that maybe Jesus is grace and forgiveness, that there is people in this world that are too far gone. Maybe you've got a coworker and you've had some conversations, and you might be sitting there thinking, ah, yeah, that old timer, he already has his mind made up. He already knows what he believes. There might be people in your classroom, you college students, might have a professor that just harps on Christianity. And you might be sitting there, ah, well, yeah, he came and he saved me, but, you know, that professor, he's, he's already made up his mind. You might have family members that you might think, wow, I mean, they are, Jeff, they, they're real sinners. I mean, these guys are real sinners. Guys, Jesus came. To save sinners. Paul shares his past because Paul wants Timothy to recognize it doesn't matter how far gone, Timothy, you think they might be. They might be blatant atheists. They might be people that have rejected Jesus to your face. They may be the ones who make fun of you. But here's a trustworthy statement. Jesus came to save sinners. And I bring this up, church, because we can't ever 
forget that. I know that sometimes you will come across people and you might even have family members. I got a family member. And 20 years ago, I would have said, there is no way this guy is coming to faith. It's easy to, like, to, to just kind of think that way. And maybe you don't want to admit that, but I guarantee you, you've had thoughts like that. Like, oh, man, this guy, he's, he's just too far gone, you know? But guys, what did Jesus come to do? He came to save sinners. And Paul says, I was the worst of them. If Jesus can save Paul, who, remind you, hated Jesus, hated Christians, hated the church, killed them, went after them, imprisoned them. And Paul is giving this encouragement to Timothy. This is what Jesus does. He saves sinners. And I think us as a church, guys, we need to remember this and not forget it because as the church in America, I, I see this play out way too often. There, there is too many churchgoers that kind of think, well, yeah, you know, Jesus came and he saved me, but, you know, yeah, there's some people that are far off and I don't, you know, maybe Jesus can possibly save them. Maybe it might be possible sometimes. Yep, he saves some, but it's like this is what Jesus does. We have 66,000 people in Marquette County. I used to think it was 100,000. I made that quote earlier this week. The person looked at me like I was crazy. Had to Google it. We got 66,000 people in Marquette County. 90%, 59,000 people in Marquette County are not connected to any church. Let me just make that clear. 59,000 people not connected not just our church, obviously. We don't have, you know, 59,000 people in here. Not connected to Jesus. Some of them hostile to the gospel. And I mean hostile. We've got pagans in Marquette. And Marquette's got a lot of, and I'm not talking about just pagans. It's like, oh, you know, they don't believe in Jesus. I'm talking about real pagans practicing witchcraft and all sorts of crazy stuff happening in Marquette. These people do not believe in Jesus. But what's a trustworthy statement? Who did Jesus come for? He came for sinners. He came to die for them, to save them from their sins. He saved Paul. I know a guy in this room who grew up extremely hostile to the gospel. Back in high school, made fun of Christians, ripped on them constantly to their faces, hated them, wanted nothing to do with Jesus, or anything. Guess what? The grace of God shows up. Paul says it's, it's abundant. Man, when I, when I experience that grace, Paul says, it's overflowing. I can't even, can't even explain it to you, Timothy. It's, it's so amazing. And then God changes hearts, and he changes lives. And I share this with you, church, to bring you hope today. Because we cannot be a church that thinks, well, God doesn't save all people. His desire is to save all sinners. I want you to think of somebody in your life, maybe there's a coworker that you are sitting there thinking, man, this person's so hostile to the gospel, they will never believe in Jesus. And I want you to get their face in, in your head, and I want you to have hope and confidence that Jesus came to die and to save 
that person. He doesn't just save the nice people who show up on Sunday morning and who can smile and give you a, a nice handshake. He changes hearts and lives of people that hate him right now. Our missionary a couple weeks ago, Wesley, Wesley White shared a story about how this young man came to faith who came, came out of the uh, Middle East. Wesley just sent another letter this past week talking about this young man from Iraq. The young man is 19. Grew up in the Muslim world. Experienced the brutality of what the Muslims do, especially to young men. And he came to faith. This man was far off. This man grew up in a separate religion. And I share this, church, because we have to have hope and a confidence that this is what Jesus does. If you're walking around thinking, well, you know, sure, some sinners. That's not walking in faith. That's not walking in confidence in who God is and what he does. He saves sinners. But then look at verse 16. I want to I jump there real quick. 1 Timothy 16. Paul says this, but I received mercy for this reason. What's the reason, Paul? Good, good question. That in me, as the foremost, meaning since I was the worst of the sinners, since, since I was, man, I, I was a really, really bad person, Paul recognizes here. He says, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, Christ came and saved me. His grace is abundant. But Paul says, I received mercy for this reason, that Christ Jesus might work through him. And he does, and he will. To display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, my life, I received mercy so that I may be an example to those around me. That I might be an example to the other sinners, which they all are. That Christ might show his perfect patience within me. As I think about that, I, some of you, all of you, you've got friends, you've got family who have been far off on following Christ for a long, long time. You might have given up on them. You might have been like, ah, they're just, they're just never coming. May you be a perfect example, an example of patience to them. As Paul was to Timothy and to other people, I think the real challenge is, is for God's church, for God's people, first and foremost, to truly believe that Jesus saves sinners, even the hardcore sinners, even the sinners that you're like, man, these people are deep into sin, he came and he died for them. But may our lives, your life, my life, may we be the example to this world. May we show the patience that Christ has shown us. I think about that often. Jesus, you were so patient with me. Man, Jesus, I was, I was far off. And he, he didn't give up on me. He didn't give up on you. You've come to faith. You had times where you had no faith. You had times when you were just doing whatever you wanted to do. But he was patient towards you. He didn't give up. 
And I think for us, church, that's the real challenge, is for us to have the patience, but also the belief that this is what Jesus is going to do. And as I think about Woodlands Church, as I think about what God is doing here, I believe the sanctuary, this place can't even hold what God wants to be doing. I'm not just talking about numerical growth. I'm talking about men and women coming to faith in Jesus. This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus wants to do through his church. His church has a calling. Preach the gospel and then watch God work. Watch his Holy Spirit show up, transforms heart, transforms lives. But I think his people have to have that faith that he will do this. That we can't just give up and be like, well, you know, they, they probably won't. The moment you have that thought, church family, because I know that thought. I've had the thought. The moment you have that thought, you have to speak against that thought. No, no, no. It's a trustworthy statement. Jesus came to die for sinners, and Paul says, I am the worst of them. Jesus dies for the worst of the worst, not just for those who can smell good and look good. Died for all. And I I leave this with you today, church, because I I want to encourage you, but I also want to challenge you in that. May our lives reflect that upon other people's lives. May we be patient with them. May we walk with them. May we not give up that God desires to save them. It may take years. It may take months. We just don't know. But I do know that God desires them, that God loves them, that God died for them. And there might be some of you in this room right now that don't even have faith in Christ yet. And I'm telling you this, he died for you. He died for you. All your sins, all your shortcomings, everything that you could ever imagine that you have done wrong, Jesus came and died for you. And the most amazing thing is is that his grace is abundant upon your life and upon my life. His grace will overflow. You can't even understand how much he has forgiven you. Even when you had no thoughts of him, he was thinking of you. Even when you didn't care what was right and wrong, he was thinking of you. When he went to that cross, he was thinking, I'm here to rescue people. Here to save people. I'm here to bring them into my kingdom. And this kingdom will not come by strictly by force, but it comes by faith. And when men and women bow a knee to the king, say, Jesus, I trust you for your forgiveness, his grace overflows our lives. I want to challenge you to a church family to live this out. May we be a church, may Woodland be a church that recognizes this within our lives. May we have full confidence that as you are here and as you are living and as you are breathing until you take your last breath, Jesus wants to use you to bring people into his kingdom. For you to love them, for you to care for them, for you to share the hope of the gospel. And then watch watch God work. Guys, it's not even us. That's that's even the most mind-blowing part about this entire thing. Is that I'm up here, I'm talking about his word. It's not even us who works. We just have to be a willing vessel. Jesus, use me today. Jesus, bring a conversation. I don't know how, I don't know when, and then it just happens. 
And then God works and lives become changed. I want to stand. I want to pray for you this morning. And I do want to leave that challenge. If you are here, you have not come to faith in Jesus. You have not submitted your life to Christ. Come and talk to me. I want to meet with you. I want to show with you through God's word his love and his grace that is abundant for you as well. I'm going to invite the worship team up and we're going to sing a very appropriate song as we end. But as they come, I want to pray for us. Father, Father, help us. Father, help us to never, Father, remind us daily that you came to save sinners. Reveal within our own lives how much you have saved us. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you will be working on hearts of men and women within Marquette County as what you always do. You came to save us. You did it so well. Father, help us to be a light to this world. Help us to love. Help us to be patient. Father, help us to bring glory and honor to you today. Father, as we sing these last words, remind us of your grace upon our own lives. Remind us of who we were before we came to faith in you today. Father, we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen.